We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. Rondo hands it off to Jackson. Jackson sees an opening. Throws it away. Here comes Bridges. Bridges to Booker. Back to Bridges. Evan Booker with his first career triple-double. And he does it in the Western Conference Finals. Welcome to the timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. The Suns defeated the Los Angeles Clippers in game one of the Western Conference Finals. And Devin Booker had maybe the greatest Phoenix Suns game of all time, at least close to it. My name is Mike. I'm here with Sam. Sam, how are you doing? <laughs> I can't put into words how I'm doing anymore, Mike. 1-0 and in the Conference Finals. Eight wins in a row from the Phoenix Suns. Devin Booker, like you said, one of the greatest performances in Suns history. I'm not going to rank where I think it is exactly right now, but just uh, no empty calories from Devin Booker tonight. I'll put it like that. Uh, Nutritionally dense with every bucket. He destroyed the Los Angeles Clippers in game one. I I just said it very plainly on Twitter. Without Chris Paul, the Suns needed Devin Booker to be that dude. He is that dude. He is that dude. That's the sort of performance he had in game one. Uh, He was legendary. 40, 11, and 13. His first career triple-double coming in the Western Conference Finals with only two turnovers on the game. And every bit of it was needed because of no Chris Paul. Uh, you know, I, I, before the game, I said, time to be legendary. That's what I said online. And then mm-hmm. he was. That's really what mm-hmm. it was because that's what it was going to take no matter what. And part of it, I think, was because the Suns having a, essentially a week off and the Clippers are in rhythm. Like the, Their best game that they played in the playoffs was the last game they played. So they came into this game hot. And the Suns needed all of that in order to win. And uh, it, it, I mean, it was his, the best game of his career. Just statistically, how many the times best have game we of his said career. that? How many times have we said that about him this playoffs? Like twice yeah, already, right? At least. And, and, and by the moment, <laughs> though, the moment is really what did it because... You know, Chris Paul just being at home. I mean, that's really what it was. Your your other superstar, and 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 you know, obviously the Clippers missing a superstar as well. But it's just you know, what Chris Paul has done for the Suns in the playoffs in this season 
is irreplaceable, and they came as close as possible to replacing him with a single player, still doing his normal thing, plus what Chris Paul adds in this game specifically. Incredible. Incredible. I have to be honest, I was a little bit worried coming into this game, and I was I was preparing myself to cut the Suns some slack if they came out flat because of the rest difference. Typically, you know, teams, you're used to playing every other day for so long, and then suddenly you rest for a, a full week. It's nice to have a couple days off, but... I was, I was prepared for that possibility that the Suns would come out flat. I didn't expect 55% from the field, 41% from deep, 100% from the free throw line as a team. I didn't expect 120 points in game one. Devin Booker obviously was at the center of it all. And, and by the way, you know, I know not everyone has had a chance to listen to our preview episode that we released literally yesterday. I still think that's relevant. If you'd still like yeah. to go back and listen to that one too, I would say go for it. Um, but I'm so glad that one thing we touched on there, Mike, is not just that, because we know the Clippers are the small team. They like to play the small ball lineups. They like to switch. We know they do those things. But I'm so glad we said they are masters of defensive versatility, and they're going to try and change things up, especially in the games where Paul is out. And they dropped, and they trapped, and they zoned. And no matter what they threw at Devin Booker in this game, this is the most impressive part. For him being in his first playoff run, to be able to take those situations and just outwork them and in just every single situation he took whatever the Clippers threw at him and just made it his own his own ball game it was masterful manipulation the likes of which Suns fans obviously haven't seen in the playoffs since Steve Nash and and yeah I just not there aren't enough good things to say about it I mean this this was a legendary performance from Devin Booker hope he can keep it going in game two but this this was awesome to have the ability to just find the weak spot in the defense over and over again is really difficult. And, and, you know, in the preview that we talked about, we talked about Marcus Morris trying to defend Devin Booker, Terrence Mann, Reggie mm-hmm. Jackson, Rajon Rondo, by the way, he did play, end up playing a, quite a bit of minutes in this game and was matched up against Devin Booker. And, you know, he actually, I think the Suns as a whole, but specifically Devin Booker, found a way to get the matchups where Devin Booker did have the strength advantage, something we talked about in the last game is harder against the Clippers than any other team that they've played so far. But they found ways to continually just get that guy on him where Devin Booker just was able to get the edge. And, and you know, doing it the way he does it is just so fun to watch with that mid-range game. And there was a point in the game where he probably made eight or nine shots in a row. Drop coverage. Uh, just, yeah, Drop and, coverage. They just, and they just couldn't keep up with it. I expect, not to get too deep into this right now, but I expect they're going to trap him a lot more until Chris Paul comes back. And that's when it becomes really up to the the rest of the guys to hit shots. And we've seen that that has led to a lot of losses for other teams in the playoffs so far, whether that be the Lakers or the Nuggets. The Nuggets having to, uh, you know, the Nuggets trapped the first two games, tried to drop the second two. Neither of them worked. Uh, so I expect it's going to be a little bit of the opposite. There was switching in this one, but Devin Booker just killed them so easily in this game that I imagine they're going to try to trap a little bit more and see if they can find ways to to force anyone else to beat them. And look, that's only natural given the other guys you see on the Suns roster. But if we just look at what those guys did today, uh, let's start here. How about like the campaign DeAndre Ayton synergy? Because those were two guys who I identified going into the series as 
I mean, obviously, you just you need them to step up. You need them to play huge roles. DeAndre, again, small ball lineups. What's he going to do? What's his value going to be? Can he stay on the floor? Can he dominate the offensive glass? Can he seal off guys? All these questions we had in our episode yesterday. And for Cam, it was all about penetration. How do you add a pressure release valve into the offense next to Devin Booker, another guy who can suck the defense in and then find shooters or cutters? Those two today were phenomenal, we can say. Uh, eight and mm-hmm. 20 points, nine rebounds, two assists. Campaign, 11 points, three rebounds, nine assists. Campaign, by the way, only played 29 minutes. Until Chris Paul comes back, we can talk about this in more in-depth uh, in a few minutes. I don't want this to be like a central thing now because um, it's really throwing someone under the bus if we t- if we talk about it now. But I can just say this, campaign, 29 minutes, too little. Much too little. He should be playing like 35-plus, in my view, until Chris Paul comes back. If he can handle that workload, he should do it because he's shown that he deserves that. He's done a fantastic job of drawing the defense in. Aiton, in tandem with him, playing as the trailer uh, rather than just in the dunker spot, in the pick and roll, in order to feast off those opportunities where the Clippers, you know, they're trying to rotate, they're trying to help at the rim, but they just don't have the personnel. They just they don't have the rim protection when they play small to have anyone to stop DeAndre Ayton when he's coming coming at them like a train. And um, on, on the other end of the spectrum, when they play Zubats or Boogie, as they did for large stretches of this game, food. Those guys were just they were just food for Devin Booker. Drop coverage, bucket after bucket after bucket in the mid-range. So the Clippers have a major problem right now with trying to figure out the rotations and, and exactly what they can do to stop this Suns offense. It becomes especially difficult, yeah, without Marcus Morris. If Marcus Morris uh, started the game, uh, didn't do much really in the first half, and then did not start the second half due to an apparent knee injury, but he was able to play later on in that first half, didn't play too much, and was taken out towards the end of the game. So we'll see if that's something that could affect the game going forward because Marcus Morris is an important piece for this team, uh, for the Clippers, because he hits shots and he's big enough to defend multiple positions which is especially important for the Clippers who play no center um you know they really have to do that but yeah I'm glad you brought both campaign and DeAndre Ayton up just a quick note on Cameron Payne nine assists to only one turnover like this is exactly what's missing without Chris Paul right you need to have another player who can create offense for other people without turning the ball over the Suns did struggle with turnovers early in this game I think they were testing a little bit how the refs were calling the game, and I think how the Clippers were defending them. And so Cameron Payne needed to do that. The Suns needed him to do that. So to, to be able to do that, I think, was pretty remarkable. And on DeAndre and I think this is interesting, he's cutting now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, David Nash, our friend, uh, said uh, he was trailing, essentially, instead of yeah. just sort of standing in the dunker spot. He's been bad at cutting throughout his career so far. And just the leaps that he's made in these playoffs has been remarkable. Just to see the things that he's gotten good at. His hands have gotten better. His rebounding has gotten better. His defense has been more consistent. But now, all of a sudden, he's cutting on a regular basis at exactly the right times and, and making himself a big enough target to be able to pass to guys. And then dunking on those plays, right? He's not going for the layups. And then there was another play where... Mikael Bridges was on the wing, passed it to DeAndre Ayton, who yep. was in the mid post, mm-hmm. and then he hit that bounce pass to Mikael on the cut. That's something they really gonna, only yeah. started doing the last month of the season. Like, he, I would guess he's passed to cutters like 10 times total in the regular season. Mm-hmm. And now to just break out a beautiful dime of a bounce pass against one of the best defenses they're going to play in the playoffs is remarkable. It's like he, the playoffs begin and he has all these new skills. It's it's really incredible. Short roll playmaking is what you're talking about there. And it's like the only thing, 
It was one of the only weaknesses in DeAndre's game. I mean, there are a few others. It would be nice if he hit threes and yada yada. But short roll playmaking was like the big thing that kept Dario Scharch and Frank Kaminsky on the court in the regular season at all. It was the only reason that Monty wanted to play those guys. Otherwise, he'd rather play Aiden 35, 40 minutes a night if Aiden had the conditioning for it because he's so much better. He's so much more sound defensively. I, I was going to bring up that play too with Mikhail. If he continues to play like that, it is just so impressive how DeAndre has in his first playoff run as well, elevated his game on all fronts in ways that we didn't expect. Just these subtle little things. He's He's been awesome, man. He's he's truly been fantastic. And I was, I was really glad, actually, to see, scrolling through Twitter, that you talked about, uh, not to give us credit or anything, but, like, this is why we didn't have the DeAndre Ayton contract discussion during the regular season. You made note of that today. Mm-hmm. Because it's important. Like, the, these are when the games actually matter. And I think... We weren't always the most impressed with everything DeAndre did all throughout the year. There were I would ru- say he was bad for the two, first two months there of the were, season. There were rough patches. I mean, look, I, yeah. got to, I got to a point where I was thinking about you know the trade deadline and whatever. We're well past that now, but, but that was a point in history, and I can't deny that like, you know, I was thinking about it back then. Um, the strides that he has made in the past several months, and now that we're seeing him play at this high of a level, do absolutely everything that's asked of him against... Uh, entirely different sort of yeah. teams. Teams with these different challenges every single series. Every single series. I mean, to go from guarding Jokic and like that being your primary assignment to this and uh, trying to stay on the floor against small ball and to do that, you know, we've got a long way to go. But to do this well in game one, um, I- I'm just glad we didn't talk about the contract until now because here's where he earns his money. And if he keeps playing like this, he's earning a lot of money and I don't care. Give it to him. Give him all the money. Give Mikhail Bridges all the money. I literally don't care. It's not my money. I don't give a shit. The way this young core is playing right now, I could run through a brick wall for all of them. And I'm sure most Suns fans feel the same way. So, but yeah, Deandre was awesome. Um, to go back just real quick to what you were saying about campaign, not even about pain specifically, but you just look at the Suns: 31 assists, seven turnovers in a game without Chris Paul. 31 Incredible. assists to seven turnovers. And not just not just without Chris Paul, against a team that switches everything. Assists are harder to come by in against that kind of defense. It, it and you know a lot of it has to do with this team's ability to react. It's not even necessarily the plays that they're calling. It's when the plays break down, knowing when to cut, knowing when to pop out to the 3 and just making the right reads based on that. It's just incredible. Tom Thibodeau was really coach of the year. Blatantly disrespectful, and I hope those people are ashamed now. Hey, uh, by the way, executive of the year, <laughs> yes. James Jones was yes. announced tonight at the game, giving the fans a chance to give him the respect that he deserves. He looked very uncomfortable <laughs> accepting that award, but a well-deserved award and something that you and I talked about uh, maybe with a quarter of the season left over that we already thought that that award was wrapped up. I'll be honest, at this point, I was pretty confident they weren't going to give it to him. But I I'm thought it was Sean did. Marks all the way, honestly. I'm, I was surprised, but uh, I think probably the reason Champ had that reaction is because he knows there's more work to do. He's used to winning. Yeah. You know, he doesn't he doesn't want to accept anything in the Western Conference Finals. He wants to accept it at the championship parade. So, But timing wouldn't have lined up for that. So uh, glad he got his moment, no matter how uncomfortable it made him. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, where do you want to go from here? All sorts of players. Wings? Should we talk about the sure. wings? Sure. Sure. Well, Let's what, see. What, what did you think? <laughs> well, I think it's kind of interesting to look at the box score because the way that they defended, the way the Suns defended the Clippers, uh, it seemed like they what they wanted to do is show Paul George a bunch of different looks. Like they are, At times, they had Mikael Bridges on him. Mm-hmm. At times, they had uh, Jay Crowder on him. At times, they had Cameron Payne on him by design, not just on switches. Like They started the play with Cameron Payne on him and, and were confident that Cameron Payne could either hold his own or they had the right they were in the right position to switch if he did call for a screen right because then it would have been Devin Booker Paul George or I'm sorry Devin Booker Jay Crowder or Mikael Bridges at that point and uh, I thought that was an interesting strategy I, I just think with Paul George shooting the way he is from the three-point line specifically off the dribble um, no matter what you do he's likely going to get points we see this with guys all the time whether it be Steph Curry Damian Lillard, and now guys like Paul George. And Paul George, for the record, he gets hot from three like this, right? This is something he's capable of doing. It just doesn't always go down the way it's been going down for him in the playoffs. And in this game, it, it, he continued He continued to hit threes, had seven in this game. Um, it's going to be tough to defend him going forward. I, I, to win when he had this good of a game, I think was really important for the Suns at home and without Chris Paul especially. Yeah, I mean, we still want Chris Paul back as soon as possible. I wish we had an update there. We just... We just don't. Um, but yeah, I thought Jay McHale uh, did their jobs. Although for a stretch, I think it was almost like Cam Johnson and Torrey Craig in the in the middle quarters that were kind of carrying the Suns there for a little bit. Um, Cam Johnson hit some big shots today. I see he finished five for eight, uh, only two for five from deep, um, but played some really good, what, what he's done all season long, just played some really good off-ball kind of team defense, uh, sort of splitting the difference between two shooters. Um, on the weak side and kind of being disruptive and breaking up passing lanes. Mikhail Bridges did that tonight too. I think he got like a pivotal fast break bucket when he had the uh, back and forth uh, turned into an alley-oop with Devin Booker. That came off a kind of weak side pickoff. But if it's Mikhail Bridges, like we know he does that. He does that every game. He's superhuman with how long his arms are. Not to take anything away from it. It's still awesome, but it's like we know Mikhail does that. To see a guy like Cam Johnson step up and do that in a big game too is cool. Um, Yeah, uh, it's... uh, Okay, we've met, we've mentioned uh, more or less almost everyone who's played in the rotation except for two guys. Is it time to bring up those two guys? Yes, uh, we can. I want to actually be actually before we even get to that, I want to ask you just a strategic question here. Do it. When Paul George is driving, if he gets by his man, the Suns were helping, and then you know the Suns didn't really play zone. No, in this game at all. But uh, but essentially, if if Paul George gets by the first man they do kind of zone up on shooters, right? Because then there are 
uh, four shooters and only three defenders. So right. the three defenders are sort of zoning up and standing between the shooters. And then exactly, yeah. wherever the ball swings, they sprint out to that guy. And then that gives the rest of the defense time to rotate. Uh, do you think they should continue to do this? Or do you think they should almost make it easier for Paul George to score uh, and just make it you know as difficult as possible if they can one-on-one? But essentially just really close out and shoot. The only time that I think the, the Clippers really made a push... Uh, to get close in this one was when they were hitting threes off of double teams on Paul George. Essentially, yeah. that's, that's when they struggled the most. So, what do you think? So, I, I need to go back and watch the game, honestly, to to really like watch it again and and see what's going on there. But I think in general, the Clippers they shot forty three percent from deep tonight. They're just they just do that. Like they're just a good shooting team like that. Mostly, what I saw when I was watching closely for it, and I was I was trying to watch different things throughout the game. So, you know, I missed possessions here and there. I mostly saw strong closeouts from the Suns. I, I I wasn't like disappointed in any one particular player's strength of their closeout uh, that I would identify here. Now within the scheme where they may be playing a little bit too far away, helping a little bit on Paul George. Paul George is really, uh, we talked about this yesterday too. He's like the primary center of gravity within their offense now. I talked about how in that closeout game against Utah, he had 22 drives. The stats haven't updated here tonight, so I don't know exactly how many he had, but like their offense revolves around him driving, touching the paint, and then kicking out to shooters. And I don't know. I think you make it a like he is. Obviously, he does want to pass out to shooters, but like he's not a terrific playmaker. He's also a guy who will take advantage of those one-on-one matchups and go all the way to the rim if you don't, if you kind of just concede that lane to him. So, I don't know. I mean, mostly what I came away with uh, after this game is that just I was impressed with Paul George. I, I think he showed, you know, his ability to be a triple threat, number one star type option in this game. I already knew he was, but I thought he lived up to that. And and I don't know if there's really an easy solution for what the Suns can do in game two. I, I would say what they're doing so far is is pretty good. Yeah, I, I think that you could potentially switch less on him, but then you're sort that's of conceding. True. No, that's you're a conceding good point. the potential of a uh, pull up three in those scenarios, right? Because you're, you're what you're trying to do is you're trying to go over the screen in that scenario because then you try to contest the shot. That leaves you vulnerable to to fouling because he's going to pull up behind that screen and try to bait the refs into calling a foul in that scenario. So if you mm-hmm. can if you can find a way to have the second guy sort of hedge and allow someone like Mikhail or Jay Crowder to get back to Paul George so that he can't get that pull-up three, uh, but you keep Mikhail or Paul George on him, I'm sorry, Mikhail or Jay Crowder on him, then that's, I think, the better scenario because then you're forcing him to try and beat you essentially one-on-one in those scenarios. I think there are ways for the, the Clippers to beat that. I think it becomes a little bit harder you know, without more of a traditional point guard, which they don't really have. And Paul George right. not really being the guy who makes like advanced reads. He can no. make good passes, but he's not making cross court passes right. or, you know, really advanced reads. That's really what it is. So there's I think a, if, he, if he reason, can find a way to do that, yeah. There's a reason Rondo played 22 minutes. It's yeah. they, they do want that kind of connecting piece in their offense. Reggie Jackson played well tonight too, by the way, but he's just, he's not. He's not that either. <laughs> there were no. some lazy passes, I think, thrown by Reggie Jackson. I see here he had four assists to five turnovers, but just like basic pocket passes that he had to bigs uh, that were easily picked off by the Suns' help defense at the nail. And I was like, wow, that's you're really just giving it up, huh? Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, there's a reason Rondo plays there because playmaking is not their forte. For as uh, insanely good as they are at just shot making, just elite level shot making, uh, there, there are other weaknesses in their offense for sure. Okay. Yeah, and you you can you can get away with it a little bit more, we, I think, yeah. with Kawhi Leonard playing. But yeah, 
No, abs- absolutely. You're right. Um, we got to bring the guy up now. I'm sorry. I, like 50 people have already asked me. They're like, can we talk about, you know, Etwan more? Yeah, um, can he play another minute in in this series? Well, I I want to I want right? to start off from a place of sympathy, uh, <laughs> because for the, him or for Monty, <laughs> for both, for both. No, but for him, seriously, for him, because yeah. uh, the way people have phrased it to me so far, there are my mentions. They're like, can we? Can you talk about how Etwan Moore sucks? And it's like, look, I think this is a guy who is. He hasn't played many minutes this season, first of all. There's a reason for that, given the way the roster is constructed. But also, if you look at what he's being asked to do in a game like this, he was bad. We can say it. He was bad. I don't think he should play in the future. Um, and he's an example of a player when he's on the floor, you switch less. You try not to let them take advantage right. of each one more as much as they were. Right. At the same time, he is an undersized shooting guard being asked to play point guard in a switch-heavy defensive scheme. Like, that's what it was tonight. It was Mm -hmm. literally a strategy that was designed to make Etuan Moore look stupid, in my opinion. He is not Mm -hmm. nearly as bad of a player as as the Sun scheme is making him look right now. It's just a pure desperation move of, we need another guy to move the ball. And hey, in a couple cases, I thought, you know, he, he drove... Uh, he kicked it out. He found shooters. Shooters didn't necessarily hit on those specific opportunities. But mm-hmm. I think Monty just put him out there and was like, hey, he wouldn't phrase it in this way. Like, he wouldn't tell the players this, but this is what Monty is thinking. He's like, hey, Etuan, we're putting you out there because Javon can't drive. Langston right. can't drive. They just can't. Right. So you have to drive, suck in the defense like we need Cam to do, campaign that is, um, and find shooters to get our offense going. And I thought Etuan tried. It did not work out. Um, obviously you don't go heavily off of single game plus minus, but in this case, I do think the minus six in 11 minutes is like, it was pretty obvious that the Suns were getting killed relatively in, in the each one more minutes. Um, so no, I think, uh, I'll let you go first. What is the, what is, what was your impression of Etwan's play and what's the move going forward games two and beyond until at okay. least Chris Paul comes back? So I think the minus, I'm glad you brought up the minus six because I think it is just not representative of the momentum swings yeah. that occurred while he was on the floor. Yes, the Suns were only outscored by six points, and maybe that is less than necessarily they were outscored by when Aiton was on the floor, right? The Suns were outscored by seven when Aiton was on the floor. But the Suns felt in control the majority of the time that Aiton was on the floor, and they felt a little out of control when Etwan Moore was on the floor. They were not doing the things that they normally do in order to be successful. And by the way, Jay Crowder minus 12 in this game, so it's an example of why it doesn't matter that much. Right. Um, my impression of Monty Williams is that now I could say what I want them to do, but here's what I think is going to happen. He understands that sometimes players just don't have good games like this. And usually what he does, and we saw him do this with Sharch in the Lakers series is he'll give them another game and he'll just pull them early if they don't have it still. So I think that's most likely going to be the thing that happens. They're going to try each one more again. And if a few minutes in, it just looks just as bad as it did in this game, they're going to pull him and then their options become a little bit limited. Obviously, you can't play. They're trying to stagger Cameron Payne and Devin Booker so that one of them's on the floor at all times. That makes the rotations a little bit hard to figure out. Not to mention the fact that Cameron Payne has yet to play a ton of minutes in any game this season. So you're sort of testing the limits of how effective he can be at higher loads at a certain point. And I think you need to test that. You can play him a little bit more minutes and have mm-hmm. each one more on the floor a little bit less. But at some point, you have to. I think you have to try Javon Carter. And I think with Javon Carter, they're going to do the same thing. That I mean, in that what they tried to do against Moore is get in the low post with Paul George against Etwan Moore. And right. you can do that against Javon Carter. 
The difference is when you bring the second guy to help, Javon Carter, his hands are so much faster in the passing lanes that it becomes harder to pass out of that double when Javon Carter is there instead of each one more. So the question is, and here's why I think it's okay to do this. When it worked with each one more on the floor is when Devin Booker hit like nine shots in a row. The entire offense basically flowed through Devin Booker. Was, was he on the floor during that stretch? I didn't even remember. For a little bit of the beginning of it, yeah. yeah. And uh, essentially that's what you'd have to do with Javon Carter on the floor because he's not going to create for anyone else. But if you're already doing that with each one more on the floor... Why not test a guy like Javon no. Carter who can play better defense? It's sound logic. I mean, it makes total sense to me. It's just, you know, I guess, uh, yeah, I was just trying to sympathize with Etuan Moore having a bad game. But, yeah, so he played 11 minutes. I would give five or six of those minutes to campaign right off the bat just because we know what campaign can do. Get him up to 34 or 35. He's a young guy. He should be able to play 34 or 35. I understand the idea of not playing him up to, like, 40. You don't want to ride him that hard. Um he should be able to play 34-35. So I'd do that next game. That takes care of half of the minutes right there. Uh, the other half I would probably give to Javon Carter. Under the logic, basically, which is what you're saying, you didn't phrase it like this, but if Moore is going to be a negative on both ends and Javon is going to be a positive on defense but a negative on offense, then that's a pretty easy equation to balance, right? Like Go, yeah. <laughs> go with the guy who gives you something on one of the two ends and, and even, hope for the least liability possible. Even then... The smallest guy that the Lakers, I'm sorry, the Clippers will play is like 6'5. Like, that's going to be the, the scenario. So, even then, Javon Carter, although he's smart and does the right things, he's still in a position that it makes it a little bit harder for him to be effective defensively, especially when they're switching on everything. So, the other thing that the, the, the Suns did in this game was point book. And um, yeah, it looked yeah, good yeah. for it looked good for a stretch, but it also looked kind of bad for a stretch. There were two or three possessions in a row in the clutch where they did not, they didn't, I think the main problem was they didn't get into their offense fast enough in, in well, these plays, and that caused them to be uh, fighting against the shot clock towards the end, and that, it just ended in a couple forced shots, but I think I it think, could get better. I, I noticed that too, but I think it may have been, I mean, we'd really have to know what Monty was telling them, because honestly, we got to that point, like, you, first of all, you get to the point in the late third quarter where you're trading twos, Booker's hitting mid-range twos, he's making every single one, but you're trading them with Paul George threes, and then the Suns went on a run. They reclaimed the lead. But as the Clippers were starting to come back, I wouldn't have been surprised if, if Monty just kind of told them, hey, let's run out the clock a little bit. Like, we're up like six or seven. There's like four minutes left. Let's slow things down, eat up the clock, and and not worry. But, like, you know, just default to Booker making tough shots because he's proven that he can do that up to this point in the game. And so that's when they had the the point book lineup. And to your point, it, it didn't really work for those few possessions, but they were able to close out regardless. And and I think maybe that was the logic there of let's just run it out a little bit, uh, not give them the chance to to get hot if we give them too many possessions. Yeah. So, I mean, there are options there. There there are. And I, and I think the, the fact that the Suns have been so resistant to run point book lineups means that I think their first instinct will be to be resistant to that. And then go to it only when they need to. At this in this game, they only went to it when Cameron Payne had five fouls, for example. Right. Yeah. Even when they could have gone to it, they didn't. Like they really, they had to have their hand forced on that one a little bit. Uh, and on the other guy, by the way, is Dario Sarge, um, yeah. whose best play was getting elbowed in the face by <laughs> Demarcus Cousins in this game. Uh, really looked out of sorts in this game, and I think he's going to get another chance too. And I think he should actually, if they continue to play 
DeMarcus Cousins, which I'm curious. I'm surprised he even played the second half, I'll be honest. I, yeah. I think part of that was that Zubac had to start. So I'm not sure if they're going to go back to that or if they're going to just go small when Zubac is off the floor. You know, if it's Zubac or Cousins, I think they're more likely to p- play Dario Saric and then go small against that because they don't want to concede rebounds by the way they did. Uh, the Clippers actually ended with more offensive rebounds than the Suns, I think, in this game. Uh, so it wasn't a game that the Suns just dominated. They, they won the rebound battle, which they should. Um, but they still conceded some offensive rebounds. Um, so I don't know. I I think that Dario Sarge is going to play again. Uh, I, I'm just I, curious how much more. I would. I mean, look, you could throw Tory Craig out there, like we talked about. It's an option. I would liken Dario to being like, like he's a mouse trap. I would rather put Dario out there as the bait that lures Ty Lue into playing more Demarcus Cousins because I said I don't care how many points Boogie scores. He was going crazy in that first half. He dominated Dario Sarge for that stretch. But I said mm-hmm. at the time, I don't care how many points Boogie scores because the man is food. I don't trust his knees on the other end, and the Suns were able to kill him. I yeah. Like, he can score 15 points, and he'll give up 17 on defense, and so who cares? Like, I leave Dario out there if it means that they're going to keep putting Boogie on him because that is a win for the Suns. If you get more minutes of Boogie at the five and fewer minutes of Marcus Morris or whoever, that is a win for the Suns. I'll take it. Yeah, I think so too. Good job, they Dario. Go, I think if they go small again uh, in, in the bench lineups, first of all, that shortens their rotation by a lot, and that means that guys are playing really extended minutes for the Clippers, which could be good or bad for them, depending on how they look. They looked a little worn by the end of this game, right? They just, I think, one of the reasons the Suns were able to take take care of it at the end there was their legs are a little tired. They were missing shots that they were making earlier in the game. But I think if they go small again, I think Sarge will still get another chance. But then you have that uh, Tory Craig option that you can go with with Cameron Johnson, by the way, like you said, who had a great stretch of this game that kind of hit shots when nobody else could. And uh, that's the nice thing about this roster. The Suns have the versatility to do both. I think uh, it should be said. I mean, this actually really just hits on what you just ended with there. This it's easy to do this uh, when the Suns have as many kind of moving pieces gelling together, like so many players who are playing well. Um, but I think in general we can just say, I mean, we trust Monty obviously with the season he's had, and I'm I've been overall really impressed with the way he's balanced his rotations throughout the playoffs. Uh, this yeah. is a very like this is has to be in the top three, maybe top five most common things that fans bitch about with their coaches rotations it's like rotations when do you use timeouts Uh, i know that's something people don't always like with monty i think he's been fine um out of timeout plays that's a big one but like rotations because because if you're a fan what can you tangibly see with your eyes that a coach is impacting over the game rotations is the big one and i think monty has shown that he is willing to make the adjustments but he's not going to make the full adjustment so Next game, I'm expecting maybe a little bit of a shorter leash on Dario, uh, uh, definitely a shorter leash on Moore, but he also trusts these guys, and I trust him. Just get, given the success yeah. that they've had up to this point, um, those guys do deserve a second chance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think that most of the time, complaints about rotations are just complaints about the roster in disguise. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's usually what they are. Uh, it, more, more, than, more than not, Coaches are playing the best players they can play for any given circumstance, and there's a reason for it that fans don't always understand. Um, Devin Booker, by the way, just to reiterate again, 40 points, 11 assists, 13 rebounds, 44 minutes, and was targeted on defense a lot in this game, put in almost every action, fighting through screens, 
uh, playing one-on-one against players like Paul George, Reggie Jackson, whoever wanted to attack him. Just the ability to remain that good while being involved defensively is is just an incredible thing. I just want to give a shout out to his defense there too because they were really putting him in everything, especially early on in that game. And it didn't really work. Like he did a really good job on defense as well, effort-wise. Well, we've always said he gives the effort when he's up in your face, when he's defending the ball at the point of attack. That's not, I mean, if you have a big guy, I get it. Like if Kawhi Leonard was playing in this series, they should target Devin Booker because Devin Booker can't stop Kawhi Leonard. No one's strong enough to stop Kawhi Leonard. But with the personnel that the Clippers have, I don't necessarily think Devin Booker's a guy you can just consistently target with success. He's a guy you catch sleeping off the ball with the backdoor cuts. That That's the sort of stuff that he still has to work on, clean up a little bit going into the offseason. Um, but his on-ball defense is good at this point, and I think we've talked about that before. Pretty crazy that he played almost a full 10 minutes more than anyone on the team tonight. And, and he scored or assisted on 43 of the Suns' final 50 points. And also... Uh, wait, let me do a quick math here. Yeah, the so the Suns only played four minutes without Devin Booker, but they went neutral in those four minutes. That's a good sign that they yeah. did. Because like that's if we campaign were, for sure. That is campaign. That is the campaign effect. Because if we were the round one Lakers, it would have been like LeBron plays forty four minutes. He's a plus four. Lakers play well. I guess he didn't play that much, but you know, you know what I mean. It's like LeBron played forty minutes. Lakers were a plus six. LeBron sat for eight minutes. Lakers were a minus fifteen. So I'm glad that didn't happen to us with with Booker. Now that we were relying on just one guy. Yeah, just I just want to say uh, with Paul George, by the way, just talking about in in how you're gonna defend him. Um, inside the arc for Paul George, he was he only had two buckets that went in. <laughs> uh, obviously, he drew some fouls. Let's see: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. He was two for twelve inside the arc in wow. this game, and that includes. Okay, sorry, three for twelve. He includes one layup at the basket, and everything inside that inside the arc he just wasn't doing because his purpose for driving was to find open three point shooters. This is why I think the Suns might benefit from trying to force him to take the most difficult shot near the basket and staying true on shooters as much as possible. I think that makes it difficult for DeAndre Ayton to be uh, as effective as he normally is at the rim. But I think if you can lock down their three-point shooting, you can beat them in a lot a lot of easier ways, I think. They are absolutely a jump-shooting team. That is their core identity, and that is the only thing that I can confidently say they are better than the Suns at. I don't... I, like... Devin Booker has ascended to a level of ISO score at this point that there was a once upon a time when we believed that these two teams were going to be fully healthy when I could have said, yeah, I'm, I'm a little afraid that Kawhi Leonard plus Paul George is better at ISO slightly than Chris Paul plus Devin Booker. A couple months ago, I would might have said that. Um, the situation we're dealing with right now, they don't have that advantage. They don't have the defensive advantage, I don't think. They, yeah, they have yeah. these interesting defensive schemes, and they do the most that they can with their personnel and changing up the versatility, but just the talent level of their defenders does not match the Suns' defenders. So if the Clippers are going to win this series, you're right. The one advantage they have, they're a better shooting team. They are an elite, elite shooting team, and if you can cut that off, you'll be just fine. Chris Paul wasn't there tonight. But boy, could you see his game in what Devin Booker was doing. <laughs> the influence, the effect that he's had was obvious. Do you have anything else before uh, before we get this one out there? Obviously, yeah. we're coming back after the next game, probably going live on Spaces before it as well. We will absolutely do a Spaces before the game. Um, thank you guys so much just for listening, supporting us in any way. I mean, this, this is an unbelievable run. I'm still kind of struggling. I, I, like, I was just sitting there. 
I wasn't nervous until like a minute before tip off, and then I was really nervous tonight, this afternoon, I guess you could say. This has been unbelievable, and this like regardless of what happens, I feel really good right now about the Suns' chances in this series. But regardless of what happens, this is going to be an experience that I never forget. So I hope you guys at home feel the same way. This is awesome. Uh, anything there, else for you? There were two legends I think that most Suns fans would would mention when it comes to the Suns: Steve Nash and Charles Barkley. I think today you can add Devin Booker in there definitively with his performance in the Western Conference Finals and obviously still more to come. Uh, We'll be back after game two, hopefully talking about another win. 